Welcome to What's Working in Marketing, a podcast for marketers that uncovers what's working across the digital landscape by tapping into the world's best data-backed research and through candid conversations with industry experts. I'm your host, Charlie Grinnell. So on today's episode, we're talking with Connor Galway, president at Junction Consulting. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, thanks for having me, bud. Good to be here. You and I have known each other for a long time, and, and this is probably long overdue. We've been talking about talking on a podcast and, and, and jamming back and forth. I've always found you to be a, a really great advisor in, in things that I've been doing. So would you be able to just give some more context about who you are, what you do, and what you and the gang at Junction are, are working on? First of all, thank you for that. That's awesome. And, and I'm, I'm stoked to, to be on. Like, you're right. We have been talking about this forever. Um, and like, good for you for, for getting this rolling. I'm, I'm excited for you. Um, but yeah, just a little, little bit of background. Um, we, we at Junction, we're a consulting firm. We, we work directly with businesses who want to figure out strategy, training, you know, solve hard problems. Um, but like, I guess to kind of rewind a little bit, um, this, the most common question I get from people is like, how do you how do you get into like digital consulting? How is this a, a thing? And I started getting interested in the internet like or, or in the early early days, like end of of this phase of the internet, say like 2007, 2008, while I was in business school. And, and at those times, really all we had was MySpace, Blogger, um, and this Twitter thing came along. And I, I looked around and I thought, this is this is interesting. This is something that I feel like. I should get my, my hands on. And so I started a, a Twitter account for my business school. And um, I think it was probably like the 100,000th Twitter account in the world. And, <laughs> and I had no idea what I was doing. I just, I think, I think my first personal tweet was, this thing is dumb, it'll never last. <laughs> and, Accurate. And then, yeah. <laughs> and, and then, you know, fast forward a little bit, uh, I was still in, in, in school and some friends of mine looked around and we said, the Olympics are coming to Vancouver. Uh, and when, when the Olympics come to Vancouver, the entire world is going to be looking at us. Everybody's going to be here in our city. And, and we're, you know, like relatively entrepreneurial. Um, we think that we're relatively smart. Um, if we don't take advantage of this opportunity, we, we're nuts. Um, and so we, we thought of everything from like T-shirts to hot dog stands to, you know, any, any like dumb idea that a, a couple of like 23, 24 year olds could come up with. And what we landed on was creating a, a website for uh, betting on hockey. And because if you remember at the time, this was during like the, the internet poker craze, everybody was betting on everything. And like, this was the, the, the hot button issue. Um, but you couldn't bet on, on Olympic hockey because it's amateur sports. However, the European sites, they all had, uh, they were all spreading lines on the Olympics. So we thought if we could just create a website that had all of the best information and, and sort of we, we kind of reverse engineered content marketing before this was really a thing, had all the best information. We drove search engines, we drove advertising to the site, we could just get people to click out and they would, we would get the affiliate revenue. So we went into the Olympics with this idea, built this site, you know, we're typical startup, you know, working until four o'clock in the morning. Um, and at the end of the Olympics, we look back and went like, wow, we, we were able to get somewhere in the neighborhood of a quarter million people to our website. Um, but beyond that, we would put up uh, predictions, we'd put up um, games and stories, and we, we'd talk about games. And I would watch as I would hit publish, all of the European sites 
would start to update their own sites based on our information. And huh. so when we got to the end of the Olympics, we kind of looked around at each other and we're like, whoa. Like we're, we're just a, a couple of guys sitting in a coffee shop on Granville Street yeah, making predictions based on which Russian team was stumbling out of the, the Roxy that night. And we were able to get people from all over the world to pay attention to this website. Like, why isn't every business doing this? Yeah. And, and, and not sitting on the Roxy, but well, why isn't every business investing in content on the internet and like building community and like using search engines and, you know, and, and so we, we decided we'd start an agency, yeah. which ended up being one of the least informed uh, decisions that I've ever made because I didn't even know, I didn't know what an RFP was. I didn't know how to write a proposal. I just, I figured that this internet thing was gonna be a big deal um, and people were gonna need help. So we started an, an agency. Um, and then about five years later, you know, we've been building websites and running campaigns and you know, that sort of thing for clients. Um, and and so sort of the, the turning point for us and, and why we're a consultancy now was we realized that you know, the, the internet and, and marketing in general had changed so much that we had all of these agencies out there, all of these smart people doing all this work, but brands had effectively like outsourced silos to a variety of different agencies and contractors, um, but they didn't really have control of where they were going. Like nobody was driving the bus. They, 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 they weren't really strategically making choices. Their customers online weren't directly connected to the businesses. Um, and so we said, well, no, if, if we're really successful at what we're doing, we're actually going to be a part of the problem. So we totally changed our, our perspective. We, we pivoted our, our business model and, and became consulting. And, and sort of our, our core idea being that we're trying to build digital from the inside out, inside organizations. We're trying to you know, build strategies, build training, and, and help organizations to, to drive that bus to understand where they're going. Um, yeah. So yeah, we've been we've been consultants now for about four years, and you know I I, I love it. I, I I love my work now more than ever. Yeah. So I mean that natural progression from following Russian hockey players outside of the Roxy into strategy seems <laughs> super natural. Obvious. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously. <laughs> I mean, I think, yeah, I, I mean, you've never told me that story actually that in depth. So I'm just like for the first time hearing that. That's amazing. I mean, I knew bits and pieces of it, but hearing it in that detail is awesome. You, you, you talk a lot about strategy now. I know that's a big focus of kind of, of, of what you write about. And, and by the way, for those listening out there, Connor has writes something every week called The Brief, which you should definitely check out. I think the, the URL is brief.wearejunction.com. Is that right, Connor? That's right. Yeah, uh, yeah. check it out. It's, it's great. So he writes a ton about strategy on there. And, and I definitely uh, read and read that every single week to, to get your take on things. Now, strategy is one of those words. And, and we've talked about this before that my personal opinion is that it's been misused in, in business and marketing. Mm. Uh, it's become one of those, those buzzwords. I'm going to ask like a fairly open ended question here. And I'm just curious to get your take on it. What is strategy to you? That's kind of the first thing I'm going to ask you. And then mm. I kind of want to dive into, you know, your approach and how you build strategies. But first, like, yeah, what is strategy in, in your mind and how do you guys at Junction approach that? You're right that we've applied the word strategy to just about everything, right? We have a, an influencer marketing strategy. We have a content <laughs> strategy. We have a, an, an Instagram story strategy. I have and, a lunch strategy, you know, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I would love just, I'd love to see that deck chart. If you sure. want, I'll send you the deck. The, it's, it's coming. Yeah, beautiful. Um, yeah, so when, when we really think about like, what, what is a strategy, a strategy is not, it's not a, a tactic. It's not a thing that we do. Um, it's not, not a, an individual choice. Um, a strategy is a framework, right? Like a, a strategy is 
is one big hard decision that we make that makes all of the other decisions easier. Mm-hmm. And so an easy way to, to think about it, the difference between the strategy and tactics is that when the markets change, when platforms go away, when advertising opportunities come up or go, go, go down, your strategy should always be constant, right? Your strategy should apply um, whether you're, you're using online, offline, your strategy should be just as, as relevant today as, as it will be in a couple of years. Um, and there's, there's one, one brand here in BC that I think has actually done a, a great job of it. And I, lo- I love to think about them as an example. Um, it was Destination BC. Um, mm-hmm. And there, there are, you know, tourism marketing um, organization. And, and it was, I, I want to say about six or seven years ago that they pivoted their strategy from, you know, they were doing a good job of doing what, you know, destination marketing organizations do with buying ads and, and that sort of thing. But they saw the opportunity to instead flip um, to distributed storytelling, meaning they wanted to equip all of the, the operators, all of the smaller destination marketing organizations, they wanted them to create really amazing digital experiences and have them tell stories. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's when they launched this idea of hashtag explore BC, which now has 4 million and some uses. And this when they started like equipping their operators to be doing a better job of what they were already doing. And, and it's paid off for them. Like they, they won marketer of the year for a couple of different awards and like BC has been doing better than ever, but their strategy of distributing distributed storytelling that doesn't change if MySpace comes back or Instagram introduces stories or whatever. Their their strategy is something that makes all of the other decisions easier. Does does that make sense? Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And I think we both know that the team over there with, with Marsha Walden, Maya Lang, Jacqueline Simpson, like everyone over there, it's been amazing as someone, you know, being from BC, when they first kind of started to to pivot that strategy and take off, I, I think I, at the time I was living in Toronto um, and watching from a distance and I was like, yeah, that's home. Like I was fired up. And even though, you know, you could just start to see more and more businesses starting to tap into that resource that they had created by pivoting that strategy. So I think that's a, that's a super great example. And I think we'll, we'll talk a little bit later about what they've done recently. Cause I know you and mm-hmm. I have both shared that stuff and, and talked about that, but digging in a bit deeper into strategy, how do you approach strategy? So to, just to give some context here, you know, the, the way that I typically learn things is I break them down into building blocks. Mm-hmm. And so how would you break down approaching building a strategy, right? Because I think right now, this is super timely for people who are having to, to look at all the pieces, so to speak, right now, given the current situation that we're in, and potentially reorganize the pieces and rebuild. What are those pieces? Um, and how should people be thinking about strategy? I mean, really all a strategy is, is a way to solve a problem or take advantage of an opportunity, right? So if we are starting the strategic process from the place of, well, Facebook's a thing, we should be on there. Well, you know, that, that's not really a problem or an opportunity, right? It's a, yeah. that's a channel. But if, if instead we, we look inside the business and say, well, is the problem that, you know, um, our, our focus is too narrow and we're not reaching the audience that we think that we could potentially reach or, or our opportunity is that we just launched our products into a new country. You know, we, our opportunity is to connect with that new audience. So starting from, you know, what, what is the actual business problem or opportunity that we're trying to solve from is the absolute most important part of the strategic process. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once we've done that, then we just start to ask questions. It's like, you know, who has done this well in the past? Um, how have other people solved the same problem um, and, and what can we learn from them? 
what what data is out there um, that we can use to help inform mm -hmm. the way that we're going to solve this problem. And then ultimately, what we're going to do is we're going to come up with a series of, of hypotheses or a series of, of guesses, really, yeah, um, of like ways that we could potentially solve the problem to like position ourselves um, and then start testing. And, and so, like, I, I think if the the best advice that I could give to somebody who's like either new to strategy or, or struggling with strategy is just to be curious, you know, like to not think that we need to be Don Draper who comes up with this like magical tagline that's going to sell a million cigarettes on the spot. Yeah. Um, in, instead, we just need, we need to approach from a place of curiosity and ask questions and then test and research. Yeah. And do you think like, it's funny you mentioned that Don Draper, right? The whole madman aspect mm -hmm. or, do you feel that that has changed? Like in the past, I mean, obviously it has changed, but do you, is it dead? Is there still a place for that? I mean, I think some of the the conversations that, that we have a lot internally at our company is this kind of balance between brand and performance and talking about that pendulum of brand and performance. How does that play into all of this? I mean, I, I love a good Super Bowl ad, right? Like I think the, <laughs> the, I, I will, I'm a huge football fan, go Niners, but I will watch the, the space between the plays almost as intently as I'll watch the game itself. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I think that like creativity is alive and well. Um, yeah. I think that there are some really, truly brilliant, amazing um, people out there doing awesome creative work. Yeah. But like... What, I think the, the fundamental difference is that we like we don't have to go in blind anymore. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I can't even imagine and, and like respect to the probably the people who are listening who who have been doing this and putting in the work. But like, I can't even imagine, you know, buying a, a billboard six months in advance, you know, shipping the creative, like physically mailing the creative uh, four months in advance and then just sitting back and hoping that yeah. it, it resonates with the audience. Yeah. Right? Like. Whereas now, you know, once we've developed strategy and we have the concept, we can put an ad out and start to get feedback within half an hour. Mm -hmm. Right. So I think that, you know, creative absolutely is one of the most important parts of, of marketing, of advertising. Um, but I think now it's, it's like we creativity with insight, you know, creativity with feedback um, and then having the humility to learn from the, the feedback that we're getting. Yeah. And I mean, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. We, the, the phrase that we use internally at right metric is called informed intuition or informing intuition. Right. And I, I think, that. you know, with, with marketers, right? Like if, if there are people who have been working in marketing for years and years and years, and you know, you can't discount the, the knowledge that they have about a brand or a, or a market or an industry. But I think to your point, things are changing faster than ever before. And it's how can you use data and analytics and insights to help inform you and, and help you push your creativity to accomplish the, the overarching business objective, which is what, kind of what you talked a little bit about earlier. So that's really interesting. And I, I'm glad we're on the same page there. <laughs> yeah. And I, I want to underscore something important that, and I think that, you know, we're, we're of a generation that sort of came up with Mad Men and Mad Men sort of romanticized the, the agency and, and advertising in general. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that yeah, as great as the show is, um, it's perpetuated this myth or this misunderstanding of, of marketing that I, I see in just about every industry. And it's this idea that marketing is advertising. Right, yep. like that. That marketing is um, push-based based messaging. Yeah. And what, what's happened, and what's really interesting, is that as digital and social have become, you know, more prevalent, and like now, like they're everywhere. Right? The digital and social is is especially in this current moment is literally everything. Mm -hmm. um, now it's it's super confusing, right? Because it's yep. like, is is social media marketing? But it's also <laughs> customer service, right? Yep. Like, is 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 our website marketing? 
but it's it's also it's also like public relations and yep. industrial relations. It's also pricing. And what what I think people need to do is is flip open their marketing 101 textbook and remember that you know, the, those four P's, right? Like marketing is the entire business. Mm-hmm. You know, marketing is you know, how should we position the product? Marketing is like how should it be priced? Where, where do we sell it? You know, marketing is like it's investing in community. It's connecting with our stakeholders. And marketing is like, it's all of these things. And like, when we think of it through the lens of say Don Draper, um, it's really easy to forget like how important that the function is inside the organization, which is why, you know, I, I love your question about strategy because like we're solving big business problems. And if the only lever that we have to pull is paid media, well, you know, then, then we're, we're handcuffing ourselves. Yeah, totally. And I, I think that's something that I've always, you know, in my previous roles on the brand side at different companies is, you know, I was sitting on the social team or the digital marketing team. And, you know, when this kind of first all came about, it was meaning digital. uh, It was an area that was, you know, a piece of marketing, right? Whereas now I think what we've seen as the internet has kind of swallowed the world, we've seen that it's, it's actually almost, it touches every single aspect of the business, which is interesting from an organizational perspective. It's interesting how you get people to work cross-functionally. Like there's a bunch of different challenges um, that, that need to be worked out in various aspects of the business. So yeah, I completely agree. I think it's one of those things that it's going to continue to evolve as new platforms come online. It's, it's challenging a lot of the structures that have been put in place, right? Like how you used to design a, a marketing org five years ago was very different than how, you know, you and I would sit down and design a marketing org today. Um, so yeah, I think it's something that, that, that we're seeing a lot about too. And probably a lot of people are going to reevaluate that as they come out of the, the, the current COVID stuff. That's the first time I said COVID if we're playing the drinking game. So sorry. Well done. <laughs> okay. I have, I have just kind of one, one more question here about strategy, which I think is always really interesting. Do you have any examples of good or bad strategies that you've seen brands use and not to put you on the spot, but I know that you, you do a great job of rounding stuff up in, in the brief. And so you're someone who I always look to, to be like, who's doing it well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, I'll, I'll go to, um, Another local example here, um, sure. just because I'm, I'm, I'm a huge fan of this company and, and it'll probably come as no surprise to you, but um, I think from a strategic perspective, there's few brands in the world as well positioned as Lululemon. Yep. Um, Lululemon, you know, for, I'm, I'm sure that your listeners are, are, have heard of, of the company, but they you know, started as a, a, a yoga apparel company. But when you really dig into it, what you understand is like they've always strategically been positioned as a company that exists to like equip and enable people to, you know, in, in their words, um, live happier, healthier, healthy, healthier, more active lives. And I think it's just such a great example of strategy yeah. because what, what it, it, it equips them to do is like, you can sell yoga pants, right? You can sell yoga mats, but then you can sell shorts. You can sell online classes and you can get into like, products and experiences you can have you can host a half marathon here in vancouver um, and so i think strategically they're just like it, it it's it's been fascinating to watch them as a brand just like almost and i'm sure it's not effortlessly inside of them but almost effortlessly flow from one um, positioning to another one tactic to another always in like investing in community investing in their stakeholders but like strategically they're all, they always like return back to that center of like they're, they're equipping people um, rather than just selling products. 
I completely agree. And I think that's a, that's a great example. We've both done work for them in the past. And, and I think that <laughs> what's been so cool, especially again, given the, the recent you know, developments with, with this pandemic is seeing them double down on community. That's such a powerful thing. Mm-hmm. And it's, mm-hmm. what's so amazing is it's, they've been saying the same thing the whole time. Like this isn't, yeah. this isn't like all of a sudden like, oh, we're pivoting our strategy into community. Like they've been invested in this from the very beginning. And, you know, now I think what's really cool is as the world is going to go through this trying time, they had the foresight to position themselves in this way. And I think that they're going to be reaping the benefits from it for, for a long time after. Oh, a hundred percent. And, and, you know, just to color around what you were saying there, like, like so brand, brand strategy when done well should, should seem obvious, right? Like they're, they're, they're positioned as, as a community organization, they're positioned as, as, as a, a company that has great stakeholders and takes care of their stakeholders. So when they rolled out um, the fact that they were, you know, they had this fund to support their ambassadors, it was unsurprising. Like it was amazing. Yeah. Like, kudos to them for doing it. And like yeah. they were one of the first brands to step up and do it. But like the fact that they continue to pay their their employees, I was like, yeah, that that is a that's a thing that Lululemon would do. Yeah. And because their their brand strategy is so strong that you just you come to expect that from yeah. them. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, to use an, a, a cliche example, like when your your package shows up from Amazon in two days or a day or in a half an hour, you're like, yeah, that that's a thing that Amazon does. Mm-hmm. And and, and I, I like to use Amazon as an example because people think, you know, brand is, you know, it's a flashy video. Brand is, you know, your, your background at, at Red Bull is is working with influencers and, and that sort of thing. But like people would say Amazon has kind of an ugly website uh, and they don't really invest in brand. And I, and I disagree. And I think that they've done such a phenomenal job of, of communicating what their brand is um, that it just, it's, we just understand it. We yeah. just know that they're the everything store. We're going to get the best price on it and it's going to show up quickly. Yeah. And, and so, you know, Lululemon becomes a bit of a cliche example because everybody looks to them as such a great, you know, they throw a great party, they have great social media, they have a great community. But like Amazon is just as strong a brand, maybe even stronger, you know, they're like 10 or 100 times the size of, of, of Lululemon, but um, in, in a very different way. Yeah. Well, and I think, I think that's such a great point. Like the, what first came to mind when you said that, and I, I haven't thought about it that way, but you know, at, at just hearing that right now, you know, Amazon, it, it's so strong that you don't even realize that it's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Like you don't even realize how, how much you rely on it or how much, you know, it's just kind of this thing that you do and it becomes a habit. And I feel like, you know, from a brand perspective, that would be a marketer's dream is if people start to start to use your product or service, your brand's product or service in their day-to-day life as a habit. Like that is, I feel like marketing touchdown. <laughs> so oh my goodness. That's, the, the best brand wins of all time are Kleenex, Google, like yeah. to, to use your brand as a verb, there's, there's no better compliment. That's, that's true. Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, cool. So that's all, that's all really interesting. And, and, and thank you for that because I feel like strategy is something that, that definitely our audience is, is thinking about top of mind now. I want to, I want to pivot things here a, a little bit and kind of talk about, you know, how, how can marketers kind of keep up in, in 2020 and beyond? And I know that your team does a lot of training for marketers. You teach at BrainStation, you know, you write the brief, you, you do a lot of webinars, that sort of thing. What are you and your team seeing is a common skill gap that you think marketers need to improve? What are the types of questions that you're seeing when you go in? What are the types of things where you have to dig in deeper and go, oh, okay, this is a theme that I'm seeing? Yeah, so I, I have a couple of thoughts on that. And, and one is sort of a, a, just a macro trend that I think we're seeing that's been accelerated by you know, the current pandemic. And, and it's that 
you know, when, when times are really good, when, when we're in these aggressive bull markets, everybody wants specialists, right? Everybody wants people who don't have skill gaps, right? Who are, are absolute experts at buying Google ads or are, will create the best Instagram story in the world for you. But what we're seeing is, is now that's not what organizations need. What, what people need is, is generous. They need people who can come in and sort of translate and understand and like get into the dirt in a, in a variety of different things and just like take the gloves off and be like, let's go, you know, yeah. let's, let, let's solve this problem. Uh, and you know, that the decks might not be perfect and like every, every wrinkle might not be ironed out, but what, what people really need right now is, is people with well-rounded skills, knowledge, experience, but more than anything, just the ability to, to get things done. And, and I know that, <laughs> that it's really hard to take an online course for that. You know, I, I'm, I'm not giving you something that's, that's specific, but if, if I, if I was to, to sort of coach somebody on, on a way to get better at that, um, and just to get to better as a marketer in general, I, I would say that empathy is the biggest missing gap. And, and what I mean by empathy is I think that we've, or, or especially over the course of digital, we've become very focused on skills, right? Like we've, we've become... Yeah focused on the, this idea that we can get a better ROAS or better ROI or by like just tweaking these things or A-B testing that thing. Um, and what we've forgotten to do is like actually see our product or our service or our brand through the eyes of, of the customer yep. um, and or the guest or the visitor or whatever, you know, we're going to call this person. And, and empathy means like in, in real tactical terms, like, Sometimes just getting out of the office and talking to people, uh, and and it, it definitely means collecting data. It means researching. But like at the end of the day, you can have all the spreadsheets in the world. It's like we as marketers need to, and as strategists, need to be able to put ourselves in that person's shoes and understand that like maybe Connor thinks this is a dumb idea. Maybe Connor would like hate that video or that logo or that whatever it is that we're coming up with. But maybe that person loves it. Maybe that's exactly what they need, and that means that it's the right strategy. Super interesting. And I think what, what I would add to that is, you know, I, I talk about this with, with our clients all the time and, and, and what we do is, you know, yes, in some aspects you, you can get to, yeah, what is that ROAS or focusing on like the performance-based number, but to your, to your point and what we discussed earlier about that idea of informed intuitions, many times it isn't going to be X equals 10. However, there are ways that you can use, you know, analytics, data, insights to steer you directionally to then go and be creative and do something great, right? And it's almost like being upstream of that as opposed to being like, you know, I think that this is something that I've talked with a few other people about is like, has, has data given marketers this, um, made them afraid of failure? Whereas before, mm -hmm. you know, before in the past, we were okay with, ah, oh, yeah, we're going to come up with this cool campaign and maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. And like, obviously we're trying to tech check all the boxes and, and make sure we're doing the right thing. But has data kind of gotten us frozen to that point where it's like, oh, like I'm over relying on it. And I think with what we're always trying to do is we're always trying to go like, hey, use this as, as context and direction because, you know, that's just, we think it's smart. It's a balance of art and science and you need to have both because both are important. Um, but yeah, I'd love to hear your, your take on that, what you think about that. Well, I mean, that's why I, I'm not worried about the robots taking our jobs, right? Like, I think, I think we're in a, a reasonably well-protected uh, industry in, in just marketing in general and strategy. And yeah. um, in that, like, it, 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 we're at the point now where there's so much good data and so much good, reliable data out there that we'd be irresponsible not 
to yeah. be collecting as much of it as possible. Yeah. Um, but then once we have that, that doesn't do anything, right? It's just like it's a bunch of inputs. Yeah. And, and then then it's it's the the role of the human the, the sort of the the people part of it um, to say, okay, well, why does this matter? That we we have a sort of an internal mantra that we we use when we're going through it's the research phase of all, all of our projects, and it's always as we're going through data, as we're, we're writing our reports, it's always so what. Yeah. It's it's like we'll we'll write out a section, and then immediately you go back and you go like, why why does this actually matter? Yeah. Um, and then for who? So if, if we can answer those two questions, um, and you can look at a ream of data and just ask so what and for who, mm-hmm. um, then it's it's just like it's this amazing knife that slices right through it. And then we're able to actually start to come up with some things that we can put into action. For sure. That's something that that we've discussed a lot internally is data for the sake of data is useless, right? Like, and I think that that's another thing that like data gets thrown around, but it's like, how is that? How do you turn that into insight? And then how do you use that insight to drive action? Right. And action is like the key thing. What are you doing with it? And I think that's something that, you know, has been tough for marketers and has probably made analytics and data. Everybody's been talking about data and analytics for, you know, five years over the last five to 10 years, we've seen like an explosion in data. That's great. And you hear these, you know, you see these headlines of data is the new oil and that sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And oil is valuable, but like you need to refine oil to be able to create gas to put it in a car, right? Like that's kind of the analogy. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. you know, data, data is great. It's a big piece of it, but it's also how are you interpreting that data just to your point? And then how are you taking those interpretations and driving action from those? So I, I, I think, I think, I think that my favorite part of my job is that I get to be the antagonist. Yeah, we, people, people, <laughs> They bring us in or, or like me in or, or somebody else from my office um, in, to like help solve a problem that they have. And they, they think that they, there's a, a room full of smart people. And, and lots of times what ends up happening is they like, they give us all of their information and their yeah. ideas and they're like, all right, now go away and, and come up with the, 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 this brilliant solution to our problem. Yeah. I just, I just get to look at all of these things that they've been working on and, and ask those, those simple questions and say, so what and for who? And it's amazing how often I get blank stares. Of course, you know, if you yeah. the, the, mar- the marketing person or the executive or the VP, and, and you know, the, the C-suite certainly isn't used to hearing those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but and the C-suite will be like, "Here, here is our strategy. Here, here is here's that we went away on a on a retreat, the Lake Louise, uh, where we could expense all of the, the <laughs> things that we did over the weekend, and so we could come back and we have this piece of paper." Yeah, I look at it. I go, "That's great, man." They're like, so what? And and, and it's it's amazing how often people can't answer that question. And yeah. and, and I think that this this applies to anything. It applies to like we got a million views on a, a YouTube video. So what? You know, we're 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 launching a new product in a new new category. So what? Um, and, and, and like, it doesn't have to be an argument. It, it should be really simple. But I just think so many of us haven't bothered to think that through and. Once we do, oh my goodness, this, this this whole job becomes so much easier because then we understand why we're doing what we're doing and yeah. we're not just throwing a bunch of tactics at the wall. Yeah, I think that makes a ton of sense. And, and that's something what, what I love about what we do as well is because we're, you know, we're looking outside of, of these four walls to outside of a business's four walls to give them that, that context. And it's always mm-hmm. very interesting to be like, okay, you have these assumptions. Cool. But like, did you know that this is happening? And did you know that here's the truth, what's happening outside? And now that you know that, 
How are you going to change your strategy and, and, and adapt your strategy? And it's fascinating to see the different types of reactions because, you know, some people think they're doing a great job. Others know they're maybe have, have work to do. But yeah, it's just always such an eye-opening experience. And I think it, that goes hand in hand with everything that you, you just kind of mentioned there. Honestly, like I, I have a lot of respect for the, the clients who work with companies like yours or specifically with, with right metric because like it takes a, a real a, an amount of courage to be able to have somebody <laughs> hold the mirror up against them and be like, here's the, the real facts. Here's, here's what's actually happening. And like sometimes you get exposed. Yeah. Um, but like kudos to them because those are the ones who are actually going to have the information that they need to make smart choices. Everyone else is just kind of you know, throwing things up and hoping that they catch. Well, yeah, I appreciate you saying that. I mean, that's when, when we started, that was kind of the goal, right? Like I, when I sat on the brand side, I, I'd go, well, I think we're doing well because I'd be able to see our own stuff. And I'd be like, I think we're doing pretty good. And, you know, yeah, then there would maybe be, you know, the, the Nielsen report that comes out and is like, oh yeah, you have this much market share, whatever it was. And I always was like, okay, I think so. But I always felt like there was something missing that would give me more of a complete picture to be like, okay, yes, I actually feel good strategically about pursuing this direction and how it comes to life. Like, you know, us and the team will figure out what it looks like creatively or, you know, the messaging or whatever it is. But I was always looking for that piece of information that could just kind of steer me in the right way to go, okay, I'm, gut check myself. Am I going on the right track? Does this make sense? You know, how am I building a really solid thesis? So I, I do appreciate you, you saying that. Let's, let's kind of talk a little bit more here and about how marketers can kind of ensure that they're not falling behind, right? Like we know that like with marketing, it's, it's just going to continue to change and evolve. What advice do you give to, to marketers to stay on top of this stuff? And, and, and what should they be thinking given that we're kind of in the middle, we're at the beginning of this, of this really weird time in history, what should they be keeping top of mind to make sure that they're kind of not left behind or, or in a situation that they don't want to be in? Yeah, and this is a sort of a common theme, bit of advice that I give. I, I do a lot of like speaking at universities, and I, I teach at this, this school here in Vancouver called Brain Station. And I, I always tell people like it just it, it's about curiosity. And and again, that it might sound like another deflecting answer, but like if you're curious, <laughs> you're going to see that you know TikTok just started to be popular, and so you're going to yeah. download the app, you're going to scroll through, you're going to find out who Charlie D'Amelio is, you're going to find out why she's so popular. Uh, and, and what it is that's making this thing explode. Like, if, if you're curious, you're going to sign up for a variety of different newsletters. Um, you know, shout out brief, of course. I, 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 I love email <laughs> newsletters. Yeah. But I, if you're curious, you're, and you're going to read them, not because you think that any one of them is going to give you that like silver bullet answer. Yeah. But because you just want to dig in, you want to understand, like, why is this happening? Like, what, yeah. what is this thing? Like, how, how is it that we've shifted so um, seamlessly from text-based social to photo-based to video-based to now i think we're in a, in a time where we're like conversation-based again we're like connections yeah. we don't care so much about news feeds we care much more about like the groups that we're in so house party is doing so well right now yeah um, but I, I think the curiosity will just lead, lead us down all these different um, tangents and and the the flip side of that is you know we can just end up in rabbit holes and like not actually learning anything it's applying a practice to to our our learning and like understanding that this is our, our business right this is this is as much a part of our work as filling out reports and, and time cards and that sort of thing and, and so like actually setting aside real time um, for that curiosity and, and then allowing that curiosity to take us to youtube or newsletters or, or websites or whatever and so like yeah i, I could put together a, you know a, a list of, of sources that i love and um, like i 
I, I love the hustle is a great email. You know, I, I, I love, I love reading all of the box sites. I love yeah. listening to pivot, the pivot podcast, but like at the end of the day that the right sources are going to be the right sources for you. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, if we just apply curiosity to everything that we're doing, the, the whole world becomes easier and it becomes less intimidating. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's, that's actually what I was just instantly going to ask you. I was like, what are you subscribed to? Cause I think about, you know, all the different sources. That's something that I get asked a ton about is, and I think, you know, one of the things that I guess we haven't really talked about yet is, is this idea of just being well-read. I think, you know, that that's mm-hmm. tied to curiosity, but I think, you know, when I, when I first started, I, you know, I dropped out of university, I ended up getting into video production and then I, I made the transition into marketing and yeah, I took, you know, this was, this was pre brain station. <laughs> I ended up taking a, a certificate course through SFU, which was, was three months, but you know, a, a course is a course, like you can only learn so much. Yeah. And so, uh, I just started obsessing and, and reading different things. And, you know, I think being well-read is something that is, I've found has been really, really helpful in staying on top of things, but it's, it's a part of the job, right? Like if you want to, to me, if you want to work in, in marketing and in, in today's day and age and, and continue to, to have an understanding of what's going on, you're going to do a ton of reading and hundred oh, percent. Yeah. And so I think like understanding what those sources are, I, you know, you, you've listed a bunch that, that, that I also read. The only one I would add is I also, I use tech meme every day where it's like kind mm, of a, the new aggregator. But yeah, I think that's something that I, I can't underscore that enough when I talk to, to people in marketing is, is just having an understanding and, and just devour articles you need to be reading. Well, and here's a super inconvenient answer is, is also <laughs> to be wi- widely read. Yes. <laughs> More reading. Like, yeah, more, more reading, but like, I don't, but not just reading. Right. it's also like, what, what do you watch? What do you yeah. listen to? Like, Podcasts, what you, whatever. Like, yeah. Are you, and this sort of goes back to my idea of, of, of empathy. Like, are you able to actually see the world through the, the lens of, of a, another perspective? It's one of the reasons why um, I love the movie Parasite so much. Um, and, and it was one of the first times that we like collectively as an, as a North American like media, um, we looked at the world, not at, so the Korean culture, but like yeah. the eyes of Korean culture, uh-huh. and, and and like you know, I I I'm a big fan of, of a lot of, a lot of things that are coming out of Korea right now. But like I I walked away from that movie like feeling like we we all like had a bit of a paradigm shift for the for maybe the first time in, in a lot of us who haven't maybe spent a lot of time in in that part of the world. And and I go well, I was like, how can we apply that to to other things where we like we read, read books, we watch movies. We listen to music that that has us see the world through the eyes of people who we're not necessarily familiar with. Yeah, I need to see that movie. <laughs> Dude, I, 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 it, it's to. it's a Friday today, so I'm definitely gonna have to add that to my list and try and crush that. It's so week. good. The only thing about it is you, you can't have your phone near you. It's all it's all subtitles. So okay. I'm, I'm I'm so much respect for the fact that it's gotten as popular as it does as yeah. it is because. Like you, you watch the way the way that people watch movies now. Like we're on at least two devices while the yeah. movie is sort of playing in the background. Yeah, uh, Parasite, you have to be present, and I think that might be one of the reasons why it's so popular. Is because yeah. for the first time, people are actually sitting there and watching a movie. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. I'll, it's on my list. Don't worry. Um, okay let's 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 talk a little bit about i I mean i feel like we have to address the elephant in the room covid pandemic Mm -hmm. for those of you playing the drinking game that we didn't announce that we've (laughs) that is now happening i said it the second time you know we're obviously in the in in the middle of well we're in the start of a big shift in consumer behavior and so besides being curious and and for as marketers 
What else do you think this means for them of where they go from here? I, I think that we're going to question everything. Like, I, I think, yeah. I think that we're going to question whether that commercial lease that we've been paying for is actually a good use of money. Mm -hmm. I think we're going to question whether um, we need to be, you know, buying plus stuff ads. And yeah. We're going to, we're also, we're also going to question sort of like, are, are we doing a good job with our, our digital properties and our social? Like it, it's going to be a, a really amazing opportunity for us to reset. So like th this period sucks. No, it, it's, it's really bad oh, yeah. for a lot of businesses, you know, uh, from uh, obviously from a public health perspective, it's tragic, but there's like, there's some really interesting things that are going to come out of this. And, and one of them is that we're going to have an opportunity to look with fresh eyes at everything that we've done, mm -hmm. right? Like how we conduct business, who our customers are, how we've positioned our products. Like, and, and, and I think that, you know, as much as we sort of make fun of right now, the fact that everybody is going live on Instagram and, and everybody seems to be a fitness influencer, we're going to see like more at home workouts, right? Like things like Peloton are really going to take yep. hold. And like, these are all, shifts that aren't new like these are things that started a while ago but this i think this period is really going to solidify them and, and, and they're they're not going to go away you know like the, this idea of that the fact that we are going to be you know more connected through digital but not just like liking an instagram post but like actually connecting with people through digital yeah. i think that's going to stick around yeah and um, i think that like we're, we're a lot more services are going to be conducted online so like if we are you're a lawyer, you're an accountant, even a doctor. Like I think a lot more of those things where you can just going to accelerate the digital adoption of, of those. Yeah. I think we're going to travel for business a lot less. Uh, so I, I think it's, it's just, it's a, it's a phenomenal opportunity to reset and, and reevaluate everything that we're doing. Yeah. What you said about accelerating, you know, some trends that we were seeing is something, you know, I think about when, when Instagram released shoppable tags, everyone was like, this is how we're going to shop. Like this is the future. And you yeah. know, yeah, some businesses like, you know, rolled it out and, but like, I guarantee it probably didn't take over their sales, right? Like there were still mm -hmm. other sales channels, but now I think what's really interesting is some of these things that we're saying, these behaviors that we were starting to see, you know, people were starting to dabble in are probably going to, grow and we'll probably continue to see that as more data comes in. Um, but also on top of that are, are going to become kind of, and I'm using air quotes here, part of the new normal. And so, yeah, that's something that our team has been, has been kind of thinking about and, and, and trying to track, like identifying, like what are the things that we can look at, you know, from three months ago and now as we're, you know, four weeks into this and in North America, and as we continue to go through this, what are the things that we can start to identify now that, that, there are some things that will probably go back to normal, but there are other things where it's like, oh yeah, like we're past the point of no return. And so, you know, there are things that will, will continue to stick, so to speak. Oh, I mean, we're definitely going to see things go back to like a, a quote new normal, yeah. um, but like and some things will return. But I, I think a lot about it in, in times like this, about like Ray, Ray Dalio, author mm -hmm. of the, the book Principles, one of yep. those famous investors of all time. And he, he has this idea of like, look for what is this uh, another one of, right? Yep. And, and there isn't really like another one of these, but you know, the closest recent example that we have is the great recession. Yeah. And, and, and so I've been doing a lot of like reading and thinking and sort of studying and what, what happened during the great recession, what happened sort of post 9-11 Iraq war and what happened, like, you know, we've way back to the Spanish flu. But if we look specifically at so the, the recession period, um, we had, yes, nobody was staying in hotels and then hotels came back. Marriott is still a thing. Wyndham is still a thing. But now we have Airbnb. Mm -hmm. right? We we had like nobody was spending five hundred dollars on Luxottica glasses at the time. Luxottica being the, the big company that makes like eighty percent of designer glasses. 
yep. nobody, you know, no, nobody was spending five hundred dollars in product glasses, and so you would say like, "There's, there's no market there." Warby Parker came along, right? Mm-hmm. And and so like all of these things that had previously seemed that are impossible, or like, yeah, this is just not how we do business. I think we're gonna have an opportunity to reevaluate those things and, and say like, okay, why? And, and is is there a way that we can satisfy that need differently? And so anybody would have said to the, the Airbnb crew, like, here's all, all of the, the risks and reasons why this is a terrible business idea. Um, and they, they also would have said, you know, nobody's going to do that. And there isn't really a business there. And plus, nobody's traveling and nobody's going to spend money. Uh, but they, they did it. Right. And mm-hmm. so like, I guess the question is right now, um, you know, what, what are those areas where we're all saying, like, people aren't moving around, so you can't provide that service or can't provide that value. You know, how can we provide that in a different way that, that you know, three months ago seemed impossible? Yeah, I think back to, there's an article that, that Andrew Wilkinson, the, the founder of Metal Lab, and he, he runs a, a, a firm called Tiny Capital now, uh, has invested Super in a bunch of businesses, really wicked smart guy. He wrote a Medium post, and I believe it's called Fire in a Crowded Forest. And it's, it's a few years old, and he talks about how he was navigating Metal Lab's existence back in that time frame. I think it was like 2009, 2010, 2011, whatever it was. And the one of the ways that he ends that article, which I think, uh, you know, I've been keeping top of mind as a business owner, but also trying to explain to people is it's like a forest fire right now and it sucks. And, and th- there's no, there's no nice way to sugarcoat that or, or kind of make it land a little softer. Like it absolutely sucks right now for a lot of businesses and a lot of people are being impacted in every aspect of their life. But there will be, you know, like every forest fire, there will be kind of a new normal for well-positioned saplings and things to kind of grow grow out of this. And I think that, you know, that's something that you, you can think about as a, as a positive to take out of this whole thing. And some people would tell me, you know, yeah, that's, that's great and easy for you and totally fair. But I think, you know, it's just something to, to think about as well. You're dead right about the fact that, that there will be a lot of great things. And, I, you know, I brought it up too. A lot of great things will come, will come out of this. But I think what's important to remember is Zellers and Sears and Chrysler mm-hmm. and Washington Mutual and Bear Stearns and all of these like seemingly untouchable brands that are gone. So for, for me, there's like think, thinking about this this period of time, there's kind of two sides of it. There's the opportunity for creativity and to do all of these interesting things that would otherwise might have been like stuck in red tape. Yeah. Um, and we, we can sort of innovate and, and sort of do the Airbnb things. But there's also like, we, w- there's a real, reality that a lot of us as in businesses aren't going to be around yeah and so i think it's 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 not just sort of like a, a fun opportunity it's a necessity right mm-hmm. now like we, we we it's it's one of those periods where we don't have a choice we have yeah. to figure out how people are getting their value and how we can continue to deliver that value or else we're just not going to be there to, to offer that anymore it's adapt or die yeah, true. Yeah, and I mean that sounds morbid, but like, yeah, it is adapt or die. But I mean, I think yeah, me, me being the the optimist, I, I feel like that's what separates humans from other species is that we do adapt. I mean, the smart ones, <laughs> and, and <laughs> the smart ones, yeah, I guess, yeah. <laughs> without going and, too and, much and, down a rabbit hole there. And I'll, I'll I'll qualify that, of course, by being like there there are going to be a lot of really smart, really well positioned businesses that just aren't able to, that, that yeah. are going to unfortunately get, get scooped up in all of this and, and shot up the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I put my optimist hat on, I would just say like, I, my, my hope is those, you know, those smart, ambitious, creative entrepreneurs and business people, you know, they'll have another round. You know, they'll, yep. they'll, they'll get another crack at this thing. Yep. 
That's good. And, and I mean, I think that's, that's, a, that's a segue into my, my next question here. What are you most excited about? We, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, but like instead of going from that kind of negative, what is the positives out of this that, that you really think that people should be thinking about? So you know what I'm, I'm really excited about right now? Um, and it's, it's that brands are having an opportunity to sort of prove it. You know what I mean? Like yeah. even for the last decade or so, or, or likely longer, but I've sort of been in this for about a decade. Um, we've, there's been all kinds of like nice words said about the value of brand and investing in community. And we love our stakeholders and brand equity. But now for a lot of businesses, the rugs have been pulled out from under their feet and, and they're not able to like run their businesses the way they were before. Yeah. And, and we're, we're really finding out like, who, who believes in the value of brand equity like mm-hmm. who actually is there to show up for their community mm-hmm. and there are some amazing brands who are doing like a phenomenal job of that and so like even some surprising ones that they're sort of coming out of left field that you might not have have thought of has been brands who really believe in the power of community but um and then there's ones that are just getting exposed you know like there's they it, it's it's a i'm taking a quote completely out of context but i, I love it for this but it was a a Berkshire Hathaway quote that when the tide goes out, we find out who was yeah. in the pants. Buffett. Or uh, who's been right swimming now. naked. When the it, tide it, goes it, out, who's been swimming naked? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and you're probably much more accurate there than I am. And what we're finding out right now is, it's, you know, they, they look at balance sheets and financial statements. You know, you and I look at how the brand shows up, what the brand is doing. And we're finding out for, for some brands, there wasn't really a community there in the first place. You know, there was... Yeah, they, they paid a lot of money for influencers. Yeah, like they they bought all the right ads and built up all the right followers. But you know, the the, the moment the tide goes out, people just don't care. Yeah. Um, and, and and for other brands, um, I, I I'm going to shout out a, a friend here, a, a friend who built a you know just a little little bowl shop, little restaurant in in, in down in in my neighborhood by my office. Her name's Katie Riddell. She runs a, a company called Kokomo. Yeah. Um, and like there's very few industries are harder hit than than dine in and like walk up restaurants right now. And her community is rallying. People are, are they're buying bulls, they're buying gift cards. They're, they're talking about them on social, they're finding ways to support them because like they have a real community that loves what they do. And so, you know, I, I, I brought up examples like these big billion dollar brands, but I think that like sometimes it's even these, these smaller businesses that really have these great relationships with their, their communities and they've been investing in them of like giving without expectation to their communities and, and, and that's starting to pay off. Starting to see the returns on, on those investments right now. So that, that's what I'm really excited about. Awesome. Well, we've covered so much in the, in the last hour here. Where can people get a hold of you online? Yes, yeah, so the, the brief, uh, oh, uh, that's my favorite thing that we do. I, I put a lot of time and, and effort and, and creativity into it. Um, and so I, I love when people sign up for brief and I reply to every email that comes through. So you go to brief.wearejunction.com um, read a couple, send, send me your feedback, send me ideas, things you want to have answered or covered. Um, I, I love that. Um, and then on, on the socials, we're at, at Hey Junction. I'm Connor underscore G. Back in 2000, whatever, I thought the underscore was a good idea. Still kicking myself, but I'm Connor, Connor underscore G um, everywhere. Um, and we're wearejunction.com. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much again for taking the time. I, I really appreciate it. And uh, I'm sure I'll see you in real life soon. Thanks, buddy. This has been a pleasure. Talk to you soon. For show notes, other episodes, and more content, check out rightmetric.co.
If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thanks for listening.